Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with another episode of Goose Chasing with your boys, David and Dino. Goose Chasing brought to you by Tag and Brag and Tag and Brag Productions. Also brought to you by Tag and Brag Apparel. There's a sick hat on the website. You guys Click can your still bell. go. You guys can go uh, to tagandbrag.co and check that out. There's only a couple left. I'm getting some crazy interference in my earphones. I can hear stuff, and then I can't. Hopefully, y'all can hear it. But uh, we are also brought to you by Tag and Brag Land Management. There is better hunting in your future. Let's build a management plan together. Shot my first... Longbeard in Tennessee here not too long ago. Monday morning, early afternoon. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. That was fun. It was fun. It was a grind grind of a hunt, that's for sure. Uncle Jay and I were hunting a new piece of property. I think he hunted it, deer hunted it maybe uh, three, four years ago. But it's been a minute since he's been back. Um, got some feedback from the landowner and just kind of went off that to start with heard some birds out of the roost they were cackling hens were cackling they must have met up they shut up for a while we moved our set to we we probably walked a back about a half mile through the hardwoods kind of up and over some hills and shit got to like this power line had a beautiful red clover field on it and so we sat set the decoys up there sat there for a couple hours just calling every once in a while didn't hear anything didn't see anything but we had a i mean what seemed to be a perfect setup and we ended up going all the way back to the front of the property um or making our way back to the front of the property at around like 10 10 15 Got to a certain point in this road and Uncle Jay kind of peeked over and literally hit the deck and there was birds, I don't know, probably 100 yards in front of us on the road. He had the tail feather in his hand already and he, uh, God damn it, these fucking, these fucking headphones are pissing me off. Anyway, he um, just kind of like peeked the fan over, over the hill and... <laughs> He kind of like peeked his head up and like looked through the binoculars of the fan and the birds were coming at us. I mean, like he thought they were hens at first and he's like, there's four of them and they're coming at us pretty quickly. And I'm like, dude, there's no way those are hens coming to, you know, coming to like the tail fan. No. Um, so they like, they crept up on us. I'm literally, I have the fourth arrow monopod with the camera sitting in front of me and I'm sitting in the middle of this, of the road, like of the, not a road, but like, you know, of one of their paths back there. I'm like, I'm in the middle of it. There's no cover around me at all. <laughs> Uncle Jay is at least behind the fan. So like he can cover himself a little bit, but I am sitting out in the middle of nothing. And these, these Jakes come up and over the hill. I mean, they had to be 10 yards from Uncle Jay. And he's like just waving the fan back and forth. And I get, I knew like they're clearly they're seeing me. Like they want to come up to the fan and just like hammer them. Like but they're human. Yeah, they can see me in the middle of this road. 
And I was shocked at how long they stood there and gave it up. Like, and then they, it, they didn't get spooked or anything. They just kind of like, were like this, something is weird. And so they turned around and they walked and they got like onto the road, like where they could literally see me like plain as day. And then they just, you know, walked back, walked kind of down over the hill and uncle Jay kept peeking up and over and they ended up in the hardwoods off to our right a little bit. Um, but it was crazy. I mean, if that would have been a long beard, he could have dusted one for sure. And who knows what would have happened. Like once he dusted one and then, I mean, at that point, all hell would have break, broke loose. But, um, but we were making our way to a ground blind that this guy had that he said, if push comes to shove and you guys don't see anything or hear anything or you don't get an opportunity by 1030 or 11 o'clock or so, get to that blind. And a lot of times the, the birds will come out into the, that field, which was a, a, I mean, it's a huge field, a lot of visibility and stuff. So when we got to the blind, Uncle Jay set the decoys out. We sat in the blind for, I don't know, another hour and a half probably. It was a little after noon, and I had a call at 1245 that I had to be on, and then I had another appointment here in Nashville that I had to be back for at 2 o'clock. So my plan was regardless to just do my call on the way home and then, you know, go right to my appointment. Well, it's like 10 after 12. We're, we're about to wrap up. I mean, we were, we were done. And this hen comes out behind us and she's in the field and she's feeding along with the decoys, like just 20, 30 yards from the decoys feeding. Then another one comes out, then another one. All of a sudden there's four hens out there and they're just feeding around. I'm like, I'm looking at my phone and I'm like, it's 1215, it's 1220. 1225. Like, I'm like, well, this 1245 call is all but lost at this point. And <laughs> they finally, it's like 1230 and they finally start making their way back towards the hardwoods. All the while, like when we saw the first hen come out, we heard a very, very distant gobble, like behind us in the direction where these birds came from. And then after all four of them were out, we heard another gobble and it was a little louder. And so naturally we're like, you know, maybe something's coming. Well, we're sitting there and like a couple of the hens made their way back into the hardwoods. There's still like two of them, I think, out into the field. And dude, this gobbler comes from behind us, charging the decoys at I mean, literally comes out of the out of the little hedgerow behind us, probably 15, 20 yards, maybe. And but before then, that, he hadn't making a no, he hadn't making a peep before the last no, gobble. No, I mean the last gobble we heard was a couple hundred yards away for sure. Yeah. So he didn't make a peep, dude. All of a sudden, he's freaking Hussein Bolton towards the decoys. He comes within ten yards of the blind easily and we're in it's like it's not a 360 blind but like the it's 180 degrees of it like literally from the floor to the ceiling of the blind you could see through yeah. so 
you could see, like, I just hit record on the camera, and this thing comes running, like, right next to Uncle Jay in the blind, and just <laughs> runs right out to the decoys. <laughs> Uncle Jay's like, do you want to shoot? And I'm, I'm so flustered, because I'm like, I have, I got the A7 in my hands, I got the other camera in between my legs on the monopod, but we were packing up, so it wasn't stuck all the way into the ground, and I'm like, I mean, yeah, like Ned, I'm, uh, yeah, I want to shoot, but I, right now, (laughs) so like, he's like, do you want to shoot? And I'm like, I will. And as I'm saying that his gun barrel is going out the window of the blind. (laughs) I'm like, all right, well that changed pretty quick. And so he's kind of, he's like, you know, get ready, whatever, you know, is cam ready, this and that. Well, I look over and another one is coming out from the same spot running towards the decoys. So now there's oh my God. two out at the decoys. I'm trying to get the camera, the camp, the monopod into the ground so it'll stay steady. Meanwhile, I got another camera on my lap. Uncle Jay's hollering at me to get my gun. And I'm like, this is, it was insane. It was the block, like inside the blind was complete turmoil at that point. And, uh, he, so finally get our shit together. I get my gun out the blind and, um, uncle Jay's like, I'll take the one on the left. You take the one on the right three, two, one, let's just hammer them. And I'm like, (laughs) no, we're not doing that. I'm like, you kill one. We'll figure it out. I'll get a shot at the second one. If I can, let's just kill one and we'll see what happens. So, they finally separate. Meanwhile, they were beating the shit out of the decoys. Like yeah. the tail feather of the Jake, the whole fan went flying off. The Jake is literally spinning like fast. And the turkeys are kind of just like looking at him like, what the hell is going on? The tail fan's gone. Tail's off. Tail's gone. He's spinning like he's on a freaking merry-go-round. And and all the while they're still so like fired up, they're going back and forth. Well, they finally separate. He shoots the one and it, both of them bust out like into the air, like a covey of quail. One of them goes right. One of them goes left. And his bird is like flat, kind of like hobbling away. He gets out the blind and hammers this thing again. The other one is way off to the right now. And he had, and it, he had stopped at like 50 yards. So uncle Jay's hollering at me, like, I'll get, you know, give me the camera. He got on him. He's like, you know, get out the corner window and shoot him. Well, this thing gets, I get, I finally get my shit together and get the gun out the corner window. And as I do that, this thing sees the other one flopping on the ground and literally does like a 40 to 50 yard beeline back at the other bird. And he's running, running, running. I mean, fast. You'll see it in the footage. I mean, the YouTube video is out now, but He's flying, hauling ass back across his field, past the decoys, gets to the other bird, finally gets like, slows down in his step a little bit, pokes his head up, and I just let it rip and dusted this thing. Got got both of them. It was freaking insane. Wow. It was insane. Um, Yeah, I mean, it it was cool. It was a cool hunt, you know the whole putting the whole hunt together yesterday as I was editing it and just kind of reliving it. I'm just laughing at all the scenarios that we were in and 
you know, the kind of different stages of the hunt or whatever. But, um, yeah, it ended, ended on a high note. That's for sure. And my first ever Tennessee bird first double with uncle Jay and yeah, it was a good start. Cause obviously, uh, we're going up to New York or we'll be up in New York by the time this launches, we'll be in New York and, uh, having our way at camp cutlet for the opening couple days of the season. So, some turkey hunting in the future. So you didn't make your call, 1245 call. No, I, I literally hammered that bird. I had to send a text right away and say, I'm not making this call. Got to reschedule. And then I literally, by the time, you know, we got extra footage, we got the birds, we got all of our shit together. We had to go back and get a unit, get that, you know, fill it, you know, fill it up with all of our shit, get back to the trucks and stuff. I, Literally had to make a call on my way back home to Nashville saying I'm going to be late, 10 minutes late to this uh, appointment that I had at 2 o'clock. So, you know, that wasn't the first time that hunting has completely ruined plans and screwed things up, but for good reason. And um, won't, be, won't be the last. It definitely won't be the last, that's for sure. So. On the board early in uh, Tennessee, that's pretty pretty badass. Yeah, kind of crazy. Actually, weird because it was one year, actually a day after the one-year mark since we've been down here in Nashville. I don't know what significance that really has, but um, yeah, it was cool. Cool to get on the board. The Charles Daly turkey gun I bought last year is two for two. I've taken two shots out of it, and I've killed two birds, and I'll knock on wood right now um the old cd the old charles daly is uh deadly on the run so i'm looking forward to uh getting out and doing some more chuckling hell yeah well i am too and the uh it'll be uh we'll be facing a few challenges as the next six days in the forecast look like a monsoon that New York precipitation never disappoints. I think we did have a saying last year. We did a what a WBC, what what bird cruising? What? Well, we got <laughs> we've had that saying for a while with the box WBC wet buck cruising. But yeah, wet bird cruising. You develop things like that when you hunt in uh, Chautauqua County, New York, where the precipitation. Well. You know, it's funny. We've got we've had these streaks of beautiful weather, but it's like when that when that when it decides to rain, it's like let's rain for eight days straight. Oh my Why gosh, not? it's always a soaker, man. It's crazy. Or when it wants to snow, like hey, let's snow for eight days straight. It's that place is amazing because in the summertime it could be ninety plus degrees, humid as shit. In sunny. The, you, yeah, sunny and and you know green. Everything's green. As it could be, I mean, the food plot behind you, case in point. But then, you know, you get stretches where it's like you feel like you're in the Amazon rainforest, or you feel like you're in the freaking tundra of Lord knows where, and you're buried in snow. It's just that the climate change at camp—it's extreme. From a year, like throughout the year, is insane. It's insane. Yeah, it is a place where the wildlife like 
they have to be very effective and efficient actually utilizing their growing season resources to survive the winter honestly like in in ohio and stuff where like the deer i mean they still do that but there's usually food available all year because yeah we might get a snow might be snow for a couple weeks even a month but then it melts and then everything's exposed again green grass and all this stuff in New York, it'll, I mean, yeah, they have to be well-prepared, well-stocked. The reserves have to be there because they could, we get into a deep freeze and they're eating hemlock needles for two, you know, 60 to 70 days. Which is to, insane. They got to survive on that. But it's insane also that they can survive on that. I mean, yeah. that, that to me is incredible. Like deer are incredible creatures regardless and no matter what state you go in and their their uh their will to survive their will to just yeah make it at 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 any cost um but up there especially it's a different it's a different beast man they you know not only you know do they obviously have to survive the hunting seasons cars predators all that stuff but the climate and what what it pushes them up against for a couple months out of the year is, is insane. Yeah, it really is. It really is nuts. And then when we get these built up snows, it's like most places it, it could snow a lot and they like deer just figure out ways to dig to the ground, like dig to the, the grass level if they have to get food. But in New York, what happens, or at least where in Chautauqua County, what happens is we'll get, 14 inches of snow and then it might go up to 40 degrees for like two days and that 40 degrees creates this like glacier yeah on the in that layer of snow so everything packs down to like eight inches but it's super thick hard or and then it might drop to 11 degrees for like 10 days straight and that literally becomes a glacier and then we'll get another 14 inches of snow that happens again and then we'll get another 14 inches of snow so it lit like it doesn't matter how hard or deep these deer dig. Like there's just times where they can't get, you can't get to the ground. Like it's, it's, you can't get to the ground. That's why they're eating pine needles. Think about how many pine needles you have to eat to fill your belly. Well, to make a difference. The amount is one thing like those, you know, they're not doing that during the summer. So they obviously taste like probably shit and there's probably not a major nutritional value there. So, that's not even, yeah, it's, it's just crazy, but they're going to take what they can, what they can get at that point. Yeah. They, and they do. And they do, but yeah, it is crazy. And then I, you got to, the whole, like, there's times where there's three and a half feet of snow on the ground. I mean, that's not an exaggeration, like stuff that a large tractor can't even make it through. And, uh, yeah, it's like how what are these deer the effort yeah, I mean, the effort it takes the calories to burn just to move any amount of distance through this mm-hmm. stuff is a lot. So you have to take that into consideration of what they're trying to bring into their body. Yeah. But then they have to expel that to walk through this insane I mean this crazy deep snow and they utilize like they literally make trails and they only use those um to get Well, from that's why like when you're shed hunting, you see those, like it's literally like a foot to a foot and a half wide beat down trails. 
and there is deer shit. It's like, it's it looks there's like no somebody, gaps. Yeah, it looks like somebody just covered. It's like a little deer road, and it looks like pe- somebody just covered it all in deer shit. But the whole that, thing. Yeah, but that's and and it's hundreds of yards of that. Yeah, more like looping around through the hemlocks and through because, I mean, you realize that under those pines is probably the least depth of the snow, and yeah. also and also they're eating the pine needles, so Even like right. they're not moving far at all, and they're getting the thermal, you know, the thermal cover and the thermal energy, you know, yeah, from getting the, out of the wind and. But man, holy! It's shit. so funny. These big, they have the these deer have nothing to eat, and then just Mother Nature's way of. Uh... Damn it! My my camera fell off. Not fell <laughs> off. My camera turned off. Hold on. No, but I mean, I think what you were gonna say is Mother Nature's way of providing for the animals, like when though when the when the real heavy snow comes in, the pine branches that are normally six, eight, even 10 feet off the ground are now two, three, and four feet off the ground. And they're accessible to, to the deer, to those deer. So yep. it provides, you know, in the summertime, the branches that these deer are eating on are unreachable to them. Yeah, they're like eight to ten feet off the ground sometimes. They're unreachable to us even probably. But in the wintertime and when they get the weight on them and they will stay that way for a long time because for whatever reason, those pine branches just hold snow, hold the snow. And so it provides, you know, it provides for those deer, which is, yeah, it's pretty incredible how Mother Nature works and you notice those things when you get out and enjoy it, you know, every once in a, once in a blue moon. Sure do. It's very cool to see because just two hours away here in Ohio, at least like you don't even, you don't see that. So yeah, it's just crazy. The climate change of, uh, of Western New York. But when you look on those maps, like the climate maps, like even the planting zones, it's funny that, from here to there changes to a different one, a different zone. And it's, I always wonder like, how do you figure out those maps and stuff, which I get it. Like you just go to average temperatures and all that, but constantly if it's, it's literally from my house here, it's an hour and 35, 40 minutes to, to camp Cutlet. If it is consistently seven to eight degrees colder there, Usually, no matter what, you yeah. Know, no, summer, winter, like if it's if it's forty five degrees here, it will be in the upper thirties at Camp Cutlet. So it's just a it's a totally different climate, and uh, it's pretty crazy to experience that. And just such a it's not far away, so you just you don't think it's going to be that different, but it's different. Oh yeah, way different. I mean, and you go you go two hours south of you in Ohio. It's another different. Di- even more different. Yeah. We'd be at Ohio State. I remember I remember like talking to dad or something on the phone. It would literally be 62 degrees in Columbus and it would be 45, 44 degrees up here in northeast Ohio. Yeah. It's just it, part of the snow belt and the weather coming off of Lake Erie and stuff like that. It's the jet stream. 
it's a different ball game up that's, in there. That's what's going to happen this weekend. Is unfortunately that jet stream dips a little into the uh, Ohio Valley, and unfortunately that brings us the uh, that Arctic bullshit weather and moisture. Yeah, I we're going to be getting some lake effect showers and all that crap. No, it's going to. You, you know, we're going to get some flurries. Oh, we're going to get some flurries. It wouldn't be uh, hunting, you know, some of our six most successful hunts, at least deer hunts, always come, we always say it, in the uh, adverse weather. Like, literally, go back to all of them. Yeah, which, let's run through them all. I which mean, ones are good? Which Don, ones are good? Don, the first, the first, like, good buck, like, good buck over the stretch that we've had over the last probably seven or eight years, Don, hammering nasty. up. Nasty. Like hard pellets. Hadn't seen him in like three weeks. Yeah. Dad it was in and out of a blizzard. Dad saw him and then didn't literally, see him because literally he couldn't, couldn't see him. Couldn't see twenty yards in front of the blind because it was pelting snow and ice so hard. Fucking uh, the next I'm trying to think of like trying to reel this out. The the original Sventech hammerings just 20, 25 mile an hour northwest wind. Hammering snow. Freezing. I mean, literally, by the time you got him, by the time we got him, and then we got him back to camp, he Start was covered, covered in snow. snow. Yeah. Covered in snow. It looks completely different. Like we took a few photos in the backyard at camp, and it didn't even look like it did during the hunt. Everything was white. No. I mean, Sventech, Godfather, both hammering. I mean, Sventech was the day before, was it was cold as shit. It was snowing. We had just got a shit ton of snow. It just stopped. Yeah, right, right. And then the Godfather, the next day, it was a fuck. It was a mess. Horrible. A mess. Again, wind and that northwest blowing wind. Yeah. Cold, and then cold coming in. I'm trying to think. I mean, hook, dead shot hook. That it was a it was a piss rainy pissing day during that day. Um, I'm trying to think of like I mean I like. This year, like Neil and Neil was probably a little bit of an exception, but uh, Neil Gary was just Clark, a yeah, was a. I mean, was I was a rut. Yeah, it was just a November sixth, middle one o'clock in the afternoon. Chase dog and a friggin' doe, and I was just. I mean, I honestly, I could have been in a million different spots in the woods, and so could have anybody, and he would right. have run by you. It's just about some point. stopping them and getting a shot, and I was <laughs> just lucky enough to do that. So. Um, but yeah, him and Cartman were the exception. Same thing though. Cartman was on the run. I mean, like you saw him that morning, a half a mile from yeah. where I was, the, the deer was, he was out and looking, Yeah. but I mean, Gary Clark Jr. It was, ha- it was raining. Right. Um, Nipsey was Shitty. a freaking blizzard, yep. you know, breaking the storm allowed that to happen. I mean, even, uh, Bernie from this year, like it got done snowing, but it was, just Hammer. bad weather was bad weather all day. Yeah, all the previous night, yeah, it was bad. So it it is crazy. We always say the big the uh, adverse weather brings out the big bucks. Well, w- WBC, W hopefully WBC holds that, true this week. That brings us back to WBC. What Repla- replace the bird with replace the buck with the bird? What bird cruising? Does Here that apply? Come. Does that apply to turkeys? We will find out. 
the native North American turkey. I mean, they still got to they they don't get the they don't get to go into a house for a week while the till the rain passes. They still got to be out there. So That's if you want to kill a bird, you got to get out there too. The only the worst part about it, honestly, I don't mind hunting turkeys in the rain. The worst part about it is like usually the birds look like hell if you kill one. Well, you know? yeah, and then taking that's, pics and that's it, the worst. The, it's a beautiful animal, so it's like, yeah, yeah. You want it to, yeah. It is a beautiful animal, and it's like you yeah. might as well take that thing in the shower with you, and then go take pictures with it. That's how it is. <laughs> yeah, the sight, the sights you get to see turkey hunting is part of the is is part of the whole experience. Yeah, and it's just part of the the rush of it all, and the the beauty and the sport. And well, usually, usually they still can they still strut pretty pretty in the rain but i hope i hope they do but yeah when you kill them and then they're just rolling around the wet grass and then you try to (laughs) fluff their fan out you're just like what am i doing this looks like a soggy cutlets it looks like this thing got electrocuted and i'm trying to (laughs) freaking it's fried speaking of that and going back to our turkey hunt from this past week and honestly some of the questions from the viewers on like I don't know why this week we had a couple people say they wanted us to talk through hunting trends, good, bad, and different, whatever, and just kind of talk through some of our, you know, whatever, feedback. But one of the ones I've been seeing a lot of it lately, too, on social media is reaping. And it's like, I'm I'm actually shocked at how many people are against reaping a turkey. Like, why, are they, why are you oh, why against it? They think like, it's, they like think it. it well, like it's not going to work or they think it's wrong. They think it's wrong. And I, Why? And because I guess what I have grasped from it, because turkey hunting is a vocal, you know, is a vocal thing, is a communicative thing. It's basically like tricking the, you know, tricking the turkey. But I'm like, well, okay. I mean, no, yeah, I mean, I, I, even... no, I, I, I can see it. I mean, I, oh, I can see the point, I guess, but. Um, I personally think it's awesome. If you can, if you can get a bird to run from a hundred, 150, whatever yards away and close the distance in less than a minute, more than likely, and like get to a point where they're steps away from you. I don't know. Well, it's what anybody it's, it's what, it's just a style of hunting. Like there's, there's nothing in the, in any regulations that talk about like, Oh, you have to use calling tactics to kill turkeys like if you love the art of talking to a turkey which is unbelievable and people that are good at it are it's it is a unbelievable it's an art it's It's, and it's it's unreal to experience it too especially if you're not good at turkey hunting experience somebody that is like actually talking back and forth with even a hen I think that's almost cooler than like let's let's make a crazy hen sound and then get the get the gobbler to gobble back. I think it's almost crazier to like talking back and forth with a hen. Um, I agree, but of course that's an art. But if another style is, I mean, if you can get behind a Tom decoy and get a, get a bird or numerous to run at you and literally try to like attack you like they're they're hunting you kind of now not kind of they are and that's a 
that's an insane adrenaline rush. Like that's insane. You don't, you can't even explain that until you experience it. Like I know they're turkeys, but have three turkeys literally running at you while you are behind a freaking plastic or whatever it's made of decoy. And you're in the middle of a field. You're not behind a tree or next to a tree or most, most of the time you're not like that's an insane feeling. And if you've, if you're knocking that, you probably haven't done it. That's usually how hunting works. Tactics that get knocked haven't been tried by those people. Um, but again, I'm not saying it's, it doesn't matter if you think it's right or wrong. There's nothing in the regulations. I don't think anywhere that you can't reap Turkey. So there's the only thing you can't do in most states is use a live decoy, which I don't even know anyone that's ever even tried to do that. But if you can convince <laughs> a turkey that your plastic freaking or foam, whatever the hell it is, blow up is a freaking real turkey, then you're doing something right. So they have the best eyesight. That's what everybody argues with turkey hunting is the hardest part about them is they can see anything. That's why filming them is so hard because you got to hide the camera. You got to hide all this crap to people. So if you can convince a turkey that you're a turkey by sight, then God bless you. I agree. I couldn't agree more. I want to get behind that fan. I think it's harder to convince a buck that your decoy is an actual deer than it is to convince a turkey that the decoy is real. Well, based on their reactions, for sure. It seems like that the deer part works, the deer decoy thing works a lot less than the turkey decoy thing works. Which, yeah. Which I is mean, weird because the turkey's on, eyesight is incredibly better than the deer's. Right. And I always, I mean, I think in the right moments, the animals attract animals regardless. But, you know, we always say this, like, and it, it took North Dakota for me to really, like, realize this. But deer attract deer. Deer are curious creatures. If there's a deer standing out in a field... And another deer pops up another field over or whatever, a couple hundred yards away, like deer are curious. Deer will attract deer. That deer will eventually make his way over here and see what the heck's going on and why there's a deer, another deer standing over here. Maybe there's food, maybe there's water, maybe there's whatever. I don't know. But they likely will, unless there's a deer somewhere else that they see. Yeah. But they'll they... probably make their way to that deer. <laughs> deer deer attract deer. It's got to come down to, it's got to come down to scent just because the deer are like the deer, the scent, that's got to be what prevents them ultimately from the decoy thing. Yeah. You know, they're so good at but sensing. They gotta, well, I mean, they got to get downwind of that. Yeah. But it just, for, yeah, I've, maybe I've not hunted with deer decoys enough to, I just haven't seen it work enough to put this. Yeah. I think hunting with turkey decoys is it's fun because it you doesn't there's nothing cheap it it doesn't work every time it doesn't work half the time honestly well yeah but when easily, it it could easily deter easily um, deter I've, we've shit all but, last year in new york it at least from what i experienced it never worked like turkeys definitely saw decoys i was using they didn't like run but they didn't come in yeah, they kind of just elude. But when it does work, it's it's awesome because you get to see them interacting with what they think is a real turkey. Most of the time, it's the fight, and getting to experience that is insane. Like yeah, when like you just call just... a turkey in, 
you know, they're normally strutting and drumming and shaking back and forth, which is badass too. But to get to see them like want to challenge is pretty cool. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. That's why this hunt this past week with Uncle Jay was so sweet. Cause I, I mean, I've seen turkeys react to decoys and having them work before, but I've never, and I've seen it obviously online and all that, you know, but I've never experienced them hammering a decoy, like jumping up and literally busting the tail feather off of it. There's pieces and parts of the decoys <laughs> in every which direction. And, and they're still on the damn thing. Yeah. Like they're still attacking the thing like that is insane. So like you said, I mean, I what love is that. I wonder what that feels like. Cause and sometimes you almost can't, you can't really, you're so focused on the bird. You can't really see exactly what they're doing with their legs. Right. And that's where they're, that's where the damage is coming in. And obviously they have the spurs, but it's a lot of times it seems like they just like jump up and kick like sidekick them. Yeah. But they're doing something with their spurs and it's gotta, it's gotta be not, it can't feel good. No. I mean, I, 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 would I, I would the same thing when I'm like, man, in like a real life situation, like if this was a real Turkey, you know, and it's one, it's, it's now one on two, you know, cause we had two gobblers come in and they're both hammering that thing. Yeah. And like, why, like what propels them to do that? Like, wh- I mean, tur- like two of them on one, like these two are together and they're boys, you know, they're yeah. cool. And, th- but then they're hammering this one, but then one of them gets shot and the other one wants to ha- the other one and he wants to hammer that one. Like, yeah. What is the thought what, process? What, what switch flips to make all of that happen? It's, it's, I, it's I never bizarre. understand that. So yeah, you are boys. You're, you're cruising together all day, every day, strutting together. Like when there's hens around. I'm, I know they fight like they obviously fight probably right at the time of breeding. If one if like they both want to breed that hen, but sure. most of the time they're just strutting, following the same hens and they're not like, you know, you, uh, sometimes you see them like one's trying to get in front of the other one, like, but they're not fight, They're not jumping up and hammering each other. It's it's something you don't get to see very often is my point. And um, it does happen in nature. Same thing as breeding the hen doesn't you don't get to see that a lot too and decoys give you that opportunity and it's pretty damn cool pretty damn sick but you know i guess getting back to the uh trend or just things maybe trends that we don't necessarily like trends that we like one thing that really chaps my ass is when somebody is like i'm you know, they're Instagram or they're on TikTok or they're on, you know, they're, they're, they're in the middle of a turkey hunt and then they're trying to explain what's going on or they're just, you know, or they're celebrating their bird and they got the, they got their friggin' diaphragm call still in their mouth. Oh my and God. Then, dude, Why take is that it special? out. Take it out of your fucking mouth. Like you're, you're rolling that thing around. You can hear all the the most disgusting. Nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, I don't want to. Nobody wants your, to hear that. And nobody wants to see your, it. I don't want to see your drenched, nasty ass, coffee filled mouth call in your mouth as you're talking and shit to the camera. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it. Like, just take it out, man. Take it out. That shit pisses me off so bad. It's just like you know they're they're like into the they're like. Well, it's a, just a. It, this is. And then they're like, 
This is what you do. I've probably done it before. Um, yeah, no, it's that's just a little bit of a. It's a pet peeve of mine. Sorry. Well, yeah, it's just a little bit of a. Um, it's just like a showboat kind of thing. It's like almost like an ego thing a little bit. Like it's like you want people to know that like oh. Well, I'm I'm using a mouth call, or I can use a mouth call. So I'm at an elite mm. level of turkey hunting because I can use this mouth call, and I am using this mouth call. And so I'm will. gonna keep it in there to make sure you know that I'm using this mouth call. And if I know that you know that I'm using this mouth call, I feel better about turkey hunting because that I know that you know that I could use this mouth call. And, and in I reality, can't. just because you have that thing in your mouth does not mean that you can use that mouth call. And the reality is when he came, I, I striked up a box call and he came running into my decoys and then I shot him. And then I put this thing in my mouth. And so it looks like I was using this diaphragm call and really I was just using my box call. Hold on there, Gary. Let me roll this thing around in my tongue really quick. Let me get it. Let me get it saturated a little bit. Let me lube this thing up a little bit so everyone knows that I've been using it. And then let me, while I'm talking, Gary, I'm going to jam it sideways on the left side of my teeth. <laughs> so it's so it's perpendicular with my tongue. And then I'm going to talk to everybody. And it's gonna you're going to see the corner of it sticking out of my mouth. And you're going to see this bright green thing or whatever color it is. Everyone's going to see it, and they're going to be like, damn. You don't mind looking at this wet fucking diaphragm call sticking out of my mouth while i'm talking that person is hot because they can use a mouth call they're hot it's like yo i don't want to taste your fucking mouth call listen and you're a little close to the camera or you're a little close to me and i could taste your mouth call yeah so take it out of your mouth stick it in the top of your crack where it belongs and then start talking to me. Here's here's a good uh here's here's a pointer, not a pointer. If if the person is good enough to use that mouth call, then they can talk to you without you knowing that that son of a bitch is in their mouth. Ah, that's true. If 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 that thing is slopping around like a freaking cough drop or like a like they're chewing on a freaking they got six toothpicks in their mouth. <laughs> might be a, I don't know. It might be an inclination that. Uh, it's just a painful thing for me. It's kind of like, it's kind of like throwing a dip in, which I don't partake in. But if I feel like the seasoned veterans with that, like if you, obviously if this thing, if they're chewing a whole can in one time, it's, you can't really hide it, but most of the guys, if they have a dip in, it's like you can see, but sometimes it's. If you're a trained, if a, if you're a trained professional, you can't see. Not well. No. And if you can, just maybe take it out while you're on, while you're talking to everybody. Yeah, that's a major rule of thumb. Take that shit out while you're talking. That was a funny, funny one. Pisses me off. Sorry, I'm adjusting my camera real it's, quick. Yeah, it's mainly just that slopping around. Like, oh, it's, it's so like you don't want to hear someone. You don't want to, like, hear them chewing. No. I don't know. 
It just no. I do know. I I don't want to hear that shit. I I, it's like, I have I have no interest. Like in bef- before I'm uh, you know, let me say a sentence and then hold on. I gotta with my tongue. I gotta flip this diaphragm call from this side of my mouth over to this side of my mouth. And it's just like, yeah, you, you know, call this turkey and with this diaphragm call, I get a bit of. It's like. Dude, or they're like it. talking to you. They like they, they realize that they can't talk to you for a second with with it in their mouth, and then they pull it out, and this like string of saliva is like attached to oh it. And they're like, God. and then they're like, well, what I was saying was, delete your video, fucking delete it. It's disgusting. Goodness gracious! I, get, I love the I love the two where you're like, you know, you get like the guy, you know, the the people that like, you know, they gotta they gotta let you know how they call you know i i mean and i'm learning how to call with the diaphragm too so you know watching videos and stuff like that's not what i'm talking about but it's like i gotta go on my story and i gotta show you how i call so they get the hands moving you know they get the hands over the hands over the face and they give the It's like, yeah, what are you, a freaking, what is this, charades or something? Nobody needs to, I don't know. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Hell, bitch. I know, you know what? I can talk shit. I can talk shit because I'm not good at it, so. Usually, yeah. I would say, you know, if you're good at it, you could talk shit. But I'll tell you that I'm not good at it. But I'll tell you that if I was good at it, I wouldn't talk to you with like my freaking with my freaking diaphragm call doing somersaults in my mouth. Yeah. Trying to get an Olympic gold on the uh, balance beam on your in your mouth. We're good on that. You're not good because you don't use you know what? There's an art to using a box call. And number one, the, the first art, the first start in, in Chautauqua County is keeping it dry. If you can do that alone, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'd agree. But if you can also do that, self film and keep Get your movement, movement down. Mm, God bless. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know, man. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. 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 The hunting industry, the hunting community is so filled with uh, like niche, you know, niche things within the hunting community. There's so many little niches, you know. So like there's trends, but the, I don't know, like you could, you could not like a trend or you could like, you know, like if I'm a public land guy or if I don't have access to private land, obviously I'm going to be one of those like, yeah, public land. If you don't shoot on public land, you're a huge bitch. You're a huge bitch. If you don't hike in a mile and a half in the dark over logs and over frogs and over dogs and all this shit, like you're a huge bitch. You're a huge bitch. You're a huge bitch. Yeah. You know, I'd probably, yeah. you know, if I was, if I, if that was the case, I'd probably be one of those people, 
But also in the flip side, you know, you got the guys that are like more land managers, you know, you got private land and you're planting food plots and you're putting invisible walls up around your property so the neighbors can't see in and so they can't shoot your deer and your deer, your deer, your deer are not going in or out of your property because you don't want anybody to touch or see your, your deer. deer. I mean, that's a whole nother like end of the spectrum that's just like, shit, the fuck up. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just like, you can be into either one of those things, but then I guess the hard, like the troubling part of it is when you use the, one of those things to knock somebody that's on yeah, the other end of the spectrum. Don't, or that's, don't use it as a weapon. Right. Just don't weaponize hunt. your tactic. Don't weaponize your hunting strategy because right. if it's legal, go do it. But if someone else's tactic is legal and they're, it's different than yours, let them do what they want to do. It's fine. Yeah. What are you, what are you not, what are you knocking them for? Because your mile and a half hike back into the timber, back into the public land, it didn't work. Or what are you knocking? You know, what are you knocking them for? Because your, your food plots and the thousands of dollars and time and money that you poured into your 14 acres didn't fucking work. Like what, what are you mad about? What are you mad about? There's no point in knocking anyone in the hunting community just like ban together so i guess for the trends portion of it it's like there's there are different trends there are different things that like maybe i agree with maybe i don't agree with but to your point if you're doing it legally hey you get it done hey hey how about good job hey how, how about, about congratulations job? i go i go back to it if you're knocking another hunting tactic or strategy the the chances are you haven't done it that's sure. that's i'm not saying everybody's like that but that's normally the case and that's that's just even more foolish in my eyes i mean we've hunted we've hunted public land we've done the deer managing i i en i enjoy both yeah i enjoy both as well like there's a there's a different challenge with hunting public land, but I also taking the harvest portion out of it because with hunting public land, obviously you're learning the land and stuff like that, but that's mainly what it's focused on. I, I love just like making a property flourish from a deer standpoint to a turkey to any animal just that's give, not a predator. Giving back, giving back to the land. Making the while making the trees everything grow good like that's a that's another hobby and passion so it's fun to watch that and be able to have your own property to do all that stuff on it's 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 a rewarding experience like you're you're giving back you're putting a lot into the land and then you're seeing results results from it and you're like this is awesome i'm this big or this chunk of property is flourishing because of what i'm helping do to it like well, what, I'm, and, what I'm putting I mean, into it. It's, it's a badass feeling. You're, you're affecting, you're, you're changing that specific property. So whatever the boundaries are, could be 40 acres, could be 140, could be 640 acres. You're changing that landscape for the better. 
but the impact that you're having goes far beyond those walls that only we have as humans. We yeah. only have those walls as humans. The animals don't have those walls. So your impact is going far beyond that. You know, it's it's no different. I mean, in, in the public land p- portion of it, I, like buying a hunting license, donating to conservation um, organizations and stuff like that, that put money back into that public land that allow it to even be public and have people be able to hunt it in general. Like that's a whole nother, you know, side of it. So we're as a land manager, as a public land manager, you know, we're all kind of doing our part for the betterment of the hunting community itself. And I don't think that that's recognized nearly enough. I don't think that it's given credit nearly enough because as hunters, we're so easy to go bash somebody else about how they did something, what they shot, if it was big enough, if it wasn't like, it's just, it's mind boggling to me how it's changed. But I could tell you one thing, like going back to it. And one of the things that we would, we won't do anymore, especially on our land, but we, we grew up doing was man drives. Like, and that's like, you're going in to hunt at that point. Like that's a completely, like you're going in, you're looking for meat, you're coming out with cutlets. Like that's the mission, you know, but the camaraderie that was shared during those times when we were growing up is why we're doing what we're doing right now. 100%. Like the camaraderie, the, the way that it made us as young boys feel like we were part of the men in that group is, is why we're doing it right now. And so as much as people would, will knock that and, you know, hunting, the hunting community and and the hunting industry has evolved and changed, but as much as people will knock that, like that created the community. It did. That allowed hunting to be a community because it was all for one and one for all in your group, in the group that was next to you, whatever. Like you had a deer on the back of the tailgate. It didn't matter if it was a doe, a button buck, a spike, a forker, or a 12 point. That thing was celebrated. Like it was celebrated. So there is a portion of me that kind of misses misses that because... Oh, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what you got. It was, it was the celebration of that animal and the life and the sacrifice and whatever. It didn't matter what was on its head, how big it was, how old it was. It didn't matter. Like it was a celebration. Hunting was a celebration regardless. And that's definitely missed in today's day and age. And I feel bad for the new hunters that are coming on board the sport because they're learning it in such a different way than we are, than, than we did. And then, yeah. you know, um, I mean, honestly, if, if you have to kind of look at this in the reverse way, but if hunting was the way it was now, when we were five and six years old, there's a chance that we may not be as into it as we are now. And that's something to look at as well, as far as getting into the, getting new people into the sport and, and what you could wait, say that again, like 
if hunting was now the way, like what it was 20, I'm sorry, if hunting when we were five and six years old was what it is right now, like it was right. heavily on land management and, and don't go into these areas. Let's late, let the deer come out like to us. Let's not pressure them. Let's, if it was that didn't kind wait. of, yeah. Yeah. If, if we didn't have like, uh, you know, we're going in there after this deer and we're going to see, you know, we might feel differently about the sport right now. Like we might, we, we might hunt. not have the same passion as we do right now. I couldn't agree more. So it's kind of tough because we're the ones promoting this style, promoting this style, but does it get people into the sport? It may like some people may just like we do just like, man, I love doing some work on this property or like, I just love growing this crop and watching it grow. And like, I did that. And then it results in all this and this with deer hunting. And like some people could get into that, but there's a different uh, mentality when you go into the woods, like when you're just holding a shotgun and you got some blaze orange on and it, you're just going to like stomp around in some bush and trying to kick out animals. And like, you know, going into like a patch of cover, like, oh shit, like shit's about to come out of here right now. Like, it's not like I'm going out there to wait for five hours and I have no idea when it's going to happen. It might not happen. You know, like shit's about to happen. It just might be a lot of shit or a little shit right now, but yeah. shit's about to go down and this is going to be crazy. So it's a different, it's a different feeling. You have a different like ampness going into that. But that's that ampness was part of what got us so passionate about the sport. Oh, I mean, yeah, I couldn't agree more. So it is weird to think about like us as young boys getting into the sport right now. What would we think of it? What would we think of it? And with all the people and all the saturation of YouTube channels and social media and TV shows still like where do you see yourself fitting in? I mean, part of the reason why we got into this, you know, when we started filming and we wanted to put ourselves out there was because we felt like there was a void that could be filled in the hunting industry, community, whatever, that we could fill. But now, where are the voids? Like, yeah. where are they? And what are you looking at and saying, man, like... I want to get into this because of this, or, you know, who are you following? Who are, you know, who's going to judge you for doing something a certain way? And do you feel like you're getting judged regardless in the process? And so that shies you away from enjoying it to the fullest. I don't know. That's a very interesting conversation, actually. It really is. Because. It really is. Maybe the, the void is uh, we need more man drives. Maybe we need to do more man drives. You know, there's always a point like, again, I, I, I love the style of our hunting and I think, yeah, I just, there's a lot more to it than at the end of the day, just the, the harvest it's, it is like the results and the work and, you know, watching the game flourish and this and that, but there are times, you know, it could be end of November, December, whatever, where you've been putting the, you know, you've been grinding all season. 
and you're just like, man, I need some, I need some old vintage action. Like I want to go mm-hmm. stomp some bush. Like manhunt Wednesdays. Man drive Wednesday. I would, it would be fun to have like two properties and one that you could just kind of go do that on. Not like it's, you're not going to go beat the hell out of it, but you know, every once in a while, like let's go, let's go small game hunt it, you know, cause that kind of small game is kind of the same way. Like, let's just line a few guys up. Let's walk through this cover. Let's see if we can kick out some rabbits or a couple grouse. And yeah. And you're, Oh, the thing is like when you're walking, kind of, like I said, you're always ready. You're just like, Oh shit. Like it it can literally happen at any moment. Right. So it's so easy to, to feel the lackadaisical or like boring part of, of just the sitting part of it. Like, even though it could still happen at any moment and it does and it will, you get to these points where you're just like, it ain't, it ain't fucking happening right now. Like, right. It's just, I can feel it during the day. It just, well, and there, it ain't, and then it the, ain't happening. And then the distractions come in with your phone, with social media. And yeah. You're like, that takes you out of that, like nature element of it, you know, takes you out of, the, yeah, I, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm subject to, to it just as much as anybody else. Oh, I mean, hundred percent. the time I'm, I, you know, I get bored in the tree or something like that. I just start posting stories on Instagram, just fucking around. Cause I you start scrolling and then you're just, yeah, again, you can, you can be doing that on your couch. So you kind of like takes you, it takes you out of that nature element. And like, I mean, to your credit, like when you're, when you're like still hunting, when you're walking and stalking or when you're in one of those, like, I guess, man drive, like type situations, you don't have time for any of that shit. Like you are, it's like you're in a, it's like you're in a game of some sort. Like you have to be locked into that mold. You're, like you don't see anybody w- running down the basketball court, checking their friggin', you know, story or their Instagram account or anything like that. Like you can't, you don't have time for that shit. Like you are locked into what is in front of you. Yeah. And you're focused on every aspect of nature like you're you're looking at everything you're listening to everything like you're listening for any clue that there's something about to happen yeah like if you hear a stick break or like you see a tiny flash of something like and you'll see and hear those things because you're looking for them you're listening for them and when you get out of the game a little bit like whatever if you get on your phone or whatever like you said sometimes you're just not like you're not scanning everything. You're not. So it's, it's just a different, yeah. It takes you out of that, that readiness, that focus on being, being one with where you're at. Being one with the bush, which is important. It is important, but yeah, it is. I think, uh, gets my brain moving a little bit. Like how can we change? How can we help that? Cause we, we can help that. We can, maybe we need to bring back, Manhunt one, whatever we call them. Manhunt Wednesdays. Manhunt Wednesdays. MHW. And it's not the waiting game. It would be cool to do that. Like, even you could say, pick a piece of public land or whatever. And hey, you know, toss it out on social media. Hey, like, there's, we're going to meet up here at, on Wednesday at 10 a.m. And we're going to do a little booting around the bush a little bit and kind of orchestrate that. And I mean, with social media now, like you, you legitimately could do something like that. Obviously trusting most other people and stuff comes into play as well. But regardless, I mean, 
I think there's ways that we can revitalize some of that stuff and, um, yeah, get back to our roots a little bit. That'd be fun. Still hunt Sunday. Still hunt Sunday. SHS. <laughs> Hashtag it. SHS. Still hunt Sunday. Hashtag it. SHS. Here we go. Can't do it in Pennsylvania though. No, you no, you can't. No SHS in Pennsylvania. Dumbest rule in the history. Gotta keep rules. Got to keep MHW. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Well, no SHS. Got to go to man MHW. 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 Some good topics today. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, it was really fun. I think the last half of it was uh was good conversation. Like people can take that in and and think about it a little bit because we can all we can all play a role in that. We can all help that. Get, you know, get the the community make, of hunting. yeah, and and just make it. It should be made more together. Not let's everyone like let me just knock your hunting tactic right and then it should be how can we make it more fun to get people involved younger because kids involved in sport. anybody anybody involved like you well, could be you could be 40 years old and 50 whatever you could be any age and be like i've never been new, hunting i want to get into it and all right. of a sudden boom you have a new life lifelong passion like literally so it's not just a young generation but how can i how can you make it appealing to get someone new in the sport yeah, because, and this is a whole nother thought, but like the land management thing just kind of stretches the hunt out over a full year, you know, because you're, you're putting in work all year long to get to that ultimate like point of success where if you're just going out and still hunting, walking and stalking, doing man drives like that, the hunt is packed into that couple hours or that day. Like that's the hunt. You're going hunting. You are going to pursue game now, you know, to where the land management thing is you're doing all this work throughout the whole year, but then your pursuant is stretched over time and you're like, you're pursuing, you're, you're pursuing really all year long. And then once the season comes, you're kind of using that, what you've pursued all year long as, and then you go into the waiting game of like, I'm going to, you know, this is kind of what I set the stage for. So I'm going to wait here yeah. for my opportunity. And I think that that waiting portion of it, if you haven't put all that work in, like if you haven't been a part of the quote unquote hunt all year long, that waiting portion is doesn't hook people. You know, it, it, true, does, it doesn't it does not it doesn't hook people. And so that's where it gets lost. So the actual hunt needs to be brought back to the forefront, especially with new people. And let's figure out a way to fire it back up. Or they should be in like, if you know, they could be involved in some of those season practices that get people involved, but that's why I don't. And we like both. So we've seen both sides and we've done both sides, but that's what like these strictly public hunting people have they're like you know i just hate the comments that are like oh it must yeah so hard to sit in your blind or and you're and just watch them waltz into a food plot and try to hunt public land and we walk two miles and this and that it's like you don't try to try to try to work all day in the summer from like whatever eight to six and then 
go try to get two hours in of planting a food plot because you're trying to you're putting in any hour any extra hour you have right. to improve your property all summer long like try to do all of that too that's you're doing, your you're you're doing all of that to create your hunt yeah that's that is your mile or two mile walk in yeah that and is it's it. not and, yeah. and i can promise you physically and physically financially and mentally it ain't easy none of it's right. easy so that your two mile walk as a public hunter is the three four month period during the summer where you're setting the stage that's your two mile walk in as yeah. a land manager and as a public hunter your land management or your you know your preparation throughout the three, four months during the summertime is your mile to two mile walk in to give yourself an edge over the other hunters that have the right to hunt that exact same piece of property. Yeah. It's just, how can you beat, how can you beat the smart animals in public land and how can you beat other hunters? You're up against those two things. It's just a different, right. just a different challenge. It's not, right. it doesn't need to be one's better than the other. It's just a different challenge. It's a different so, challenge stretched over a different level of time so we need to figure out utilizing both of those challenges and however it is you want to get people involved how can we how can we do it how can we make it more fun how can we how can you hook more people on that first try because honestly that's the that's the big one is if you get them out once and they don't like it it's tough to get them out again probably so you got to get them hooked on that first first one and how can we do that how can we do it? That's the homework for y'all this week. How can we do it? We want messages on our social medias. How can we do it? A couple of long beards, freaking kamikaze slapping a decoy and getting blasted helps. That definitely <laughs> helps. That absolutely helps. Oh, well, folks. I think it's time to part ways for us. Time to part ways with you all. Well, Diener, I will see you in a couple short days. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to turkey hunting Camp Cutlet. When this comes out, that turkey hunt will be subsiding. And we will have some more stories to, more stories to tell. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Get ready for some WBC. WBC, baby. Until then, then, y'all have a wet bird kind of week. Shake your feathers off. Make it a good week. Smile at somebody. Add some positivity to not only your own life, but maybe somebody next to you. You never know who needs it. If you think about making a a bad comment towards someone, challenge yourself to flip it. Make a good one. And see uh, see, see what it does to your day. Ooh. That's a See good what one. it does to your day. I'm challenging you all to do that. If you want to say something bad, flip it. Say something positive and see what it does to your day. Wow. How about that's that? Po- that's powerful stuff. Goose chasers, it's been real. Love y'all. We'll see you right here next week. God bless. God bless.